0: God, we are here to, to lift up your name through singing, through uh, the fellowship even of your people, that your, na- your name will be made much of in our hearts and in our, our midst, uh, through our lips, singing your praises, and we can't exhaust your praise. Uh, you, are, you are great and greatly to be praised, and your greatness is unsearchable. Uh, as we gather now, we also want to see your name lifted up through your word. Uh, that you have given to us, you preserve for us, as that which is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path, and is a two-edged sword uh, that's able to cut through everything that competes for our attention, our, our affections. And so would you do work tonight in the brief time that we have to fix our gaze toward heaven, to lift our, our hearts so we are discouraged that we find encouragement in your presence through your word, I pray that you'd increase our boldness for the sake of the gospel through the example of Paul in this section of the book of Acts. I pray we wouldn't just see it merely as a story to be told or to be learned, but a, a model, an example to follow in our own, our own life right now, in our age, in our city, in our neighborhoods, in our context. God, we, we want you to be made much of. We want to make our lives count. You saved us not merely just so we get to enjoy you forever, although that's glorious, uh, but you have saved us that we would do the job you've given us to do to be your witnesses in this world. So help us, I pray. I pray that you'd help me now through your spirit to be able to encourage your people, this people that I love, and that we would leave here knowing we've been in your presence and so we leave here a challenge and encourage to be more like Jesus in this world. For the sake of his name, I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and grab your Bibles. Let's go to the book of Acts. We're going to be in uh, chapter 20 together. And, uh, you know, sometimes you, uh, you map out sermon schedules and, and the Lord just seems to have a, a sweet way of just causing the right passage to fall at just the right time. And so tonight uh, we're going to be looking at Acts chapter 20. We're going to read verses 17 through 24. And in this moment, basically what's happening is, is Paul is, call, is calling a special meeting with the church in Ephesus, and he's giving them uh, final words, kind of a sermon to the elders, particularly in the church in Ephesus, as he leaves to never see them again. And so there's a, there's a parting in this section. There's a saying goodbye. There's a, there's a charge. There's, there's biblical truth given to this people that Paul loves, and then he's going to go to continue on his way while they seek to make much of Jesus in their context. And so as we set out tonight to send out our team to Burgal, these people that we love, there's something really sweet about the fact the Lord has caused us to land tonight. So what I want to do is I want us just to read verses 17 through 24 in their entirety, and then we'll make a few observations. I'm going to try to keep it a little bit shorter tonight so we can have a chance to, to pray over the team. This is Acts chapter 20, verse 17. It says, Now from Miletus, He, speaking of Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, You yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time, from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. How I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public And from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now, behold, I am going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This is God's word. You know, I get a little bit choked up even reading that section because there's, as I've been praying even tonight, um, like we get to, we get to witness like living proof of this dynamic in people's lives. You know, the, the four families that we're sending out to Burgaw, there's a measure to which, like, this text represents their thought about themselves. Like, they don't count their lives as, like, dear or precious to themselves that they might finish well the work that God has given them. Let me ask you a question as we start this section. How many of you know that you have been made a witness for Christ? And all of God's people said what? Every single one of you know that at this point, this book, right? Because the very beginning, like the main thesis statement is that Jesus says, I'm going to give you my power and that power is going to enable you to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. And so every single one of us is a a living witness for Christ, a living witness to the greatness of the, the grace of God as seen in Jesus Christ. And what do witnesses do? They testify, Right. They tell, they proclaim what they have seen, what they have heard, what they've experienced themselves, and so that's us. And so this this moment gives us a glimpse into Paul's life, and so we're going to spend a few weeks actually in this section, a little bit beyond this section, as as he kind of preaches a message to pastors to learn a little bit more just about God's heart for elders. But tonight we're just going to observe a few marks of a faithful witness as observed in Paul's life. And so the first thing he says uh, when he gathers this group, and, and just by way of a quick reminder, Paul is, is trying to make a, a quick line to Jerusalem. Like he's traveling around the Mediterranean. You might remember like his, his missionary journeys are kind of the, the north side of the Mediterranean. Now he's, he's trying to get back to Jerusalem before Passover. And so he's made a stop in this place called Miletus, he doesn't want to go all the way into Ephesus, a place that's very dear to him that he spent a few years in. Instead, he stays in Miletus and he calls the elders to him because he loves them. and He wants to give them some encouragement before he goes on to Jerusalem because he doesn't know exactly what's going to happen to him there. And So you can kind of picture it like Paul, this founder of the church, this father of faith to these Ephesian elders, he calls them, not by cell phone, but he sends for them somehow and says, come to me in Miletus. And so they come. This is a really unique moment because we don't really see any other sermons to Christian leaders in the book of Acts other than this one. So it gives us a glimpse, and Paul firstly talks about his own ministry. And so let's look back at what he says first, and this is where we'll kind of spend our time tonight so he he steps forward into the room wherever they were gathered, and he says, you yourselves know, you Ephesian elders know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, Asia Minor, which is where Ephesus was, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. And those three words kind of frame off the three things I want to talk about in fairly brief order tonight, humility, tears, and trials. Three marks of a faithful witness. Humility. I served you in my time with you with humility. Like serving with all humility means possessing a right view of ourselves in the sight of God and others. This is not just for like super Christians, super apostles, or even elders and pastors. This is for every Christian. Every witness is to be a faithful witness by serving God with humility. And humility in the life of believer points to the grace of God. The picture here is that we we think low of ourselves, not a high view of self, but a, a low view of self in light of who God is, emptied of all notions of self-reliance to serve God the way he deserves to be served or to change people the way they need to be changed. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 10, Paul talks about the, the, the supreme, first important issue of the gospel, that Jesus died for our sins according to, to the scriptures, he was raised, he was buried and he was raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And then he goes on to talk about his own ministry. And this is what he says. He says, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, any of these other apostles or super apostles. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. So here's a couple things I'd say. If you've ever been given a platform, for influence in ministry or otherwise in your life. If there's ever been any fruit from the opportunities you've had to serve, if you have the ability and gifts that God has given you, particularly those that are more visible to people, if you're bold for Jesus, if you've been faithful to do your job or to work hard, if you've served others well and served others often, let it be known to every single one of us it's only by grace that those things happen. Every single bit of it is of grace from beginning to end. Now, Paul says it's, it's only by the grace of God that I am what I am. You've heard me say it this way, anything beyond nothing in our lives is grace. It's only by the grace of God that I am what I am, but the, la- but the grace of God for me didn't show to be vain because, why? Because I worked hard for God. I labored hard for God, but yet not me, but the grace of God within me. There's this Pointing to the grace of God as the source of everything good in our ministry, everything strong that we might do for the Lord. And Paul could have thrown his weight around here to these guys, right? So we saw in Ephesus chapter 19 that God was doing incredible miracles at the hand of Paul. And what you don't hear him say is like, you saw what happened when I was with you. Remember that handkerchief you took and drove out an evil spirit? You remember my apron that you took and made someone well who was sick? That's not what he says. He says, I I was with you in humility and with tears and trials. He wasn't drawing attention to himself. The starting block of of my work and your work as a witness is made of the same material as the finish line grace. And every breath, every effective stride, if you picture yourself running the race for Christ, every effective movement toward a faithful finish is empowered by the grace of God. Every single moment, it's all of grace. And so he points to grace and then also relies upon grace. And so here's another kind of shade of this is like, so maybe we don't feel like you've ever had any significant platform. Maybe what we feel is like, I just feel like I'm a mess. I don't feel like I'm, I feel inadequate to serve God, to be his ambassador. Well, you are. Like we are. (laughs) Embrace the feeling of inadequacy because it's great fuel for humility. And God is opposed to the proud, but he actively gives grace to the humble. That's good news for inadequate people because we need the grace of God to make us adequate. He's actively giving grace when we run into that to say, Lord, I don't have what it takes to do what you call me to do. I'm not bold like the lion. I'm sheepish at best. I'm not consistent in my witness. But even that plea toward God is just a means of grace, incapable to do what He's called us to do. That's right, correct. All the all-too familiar feeling of, all too familiar feeling of an awareness of inadequacy is the is a powerful ingredient for a faithful witness. Like, I feel like a fool. Well, you are, but God chose the foolish in the world to shame the wise, right? I'm so weak. It's okay. God chose what's weak in the world to shame the strong. It's good news for the weak. I'm the least likely, not from the right pedigree. I don't have the right personality. Well, perfect. God chose what's low and despised in the world, the things that aren't to shame the things that are. It's good news for all of those who don't feel like they're the one. Jesus is the one, right? We're just beggars trying to show people where the bread is found, right? Someone wants to put it. It's all of grace. And so he points to grace. He relies upon grace. A faithful witness does the same. Why? So our only boasting is in the Lord. That's what Paul talks about. So that at the end of the day, that boasting, boasting is dismissed in the presence. God. So that no human being would boast in the presence of God. Let him who boasts, boast in what? In the Lord, alone. That's our only boast and pride. So in Colossians 3, you know, Paul talks to the church in Colossians. He says, put on then as God's people, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. That's Colossians 3.12. So he kind of moves. So there's this partnership in many ways between humility and compassion serving with tears. That's verse 19. So a faithful witness of God serves others with tender compassion. So these tears seem to be different than the tears that would have been brought on by the difficulty and trials that Paul faced. So I'm sure, certain there were tears as a result of the trials, but this is different. So Paul is saying, there's a, there's a way in which my heart went with you, towards you, that drove me to tears. like Affectionate, Tender compassion for the people of God and in the process of them coming to faith. And Paul is remarkably tender toward the churches that he ministered to and with, and you see that in his letters in the New Testament. And here's a little taste of it. If you flip forward in chapter 20, go to verse 31. This is in the section where we'll see next week where Paul is, well, maybe in a couple of weeks, we'll see where Paul is talking about the nature of eldership and being a pastor. He says in verse 31, therefore be alert, remembering. Now he's hearkening back to his own experience as a leader among them. He says, for three years, I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with what? With tears. And go down to verse 36. This is the culmination of this meeting. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. And they embraced Paul and kissed him. This is not just some cold theological class. Like Paul loved these people. Like a faithful witness for God to other people operates with humility and with tender compassion for people. And I wonder how much of that is missed at times on us. Like godly compassion creates urgency in our hearts to those apart from Christ. So if you see in verse 20 and 21, what did it do in Paul? I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. So the compassion isn't just a meekness that drives us into the shadows and we just are sad for people. It's a compassion that fills us with a concern for the eternal state of people's souls, that it drives us to a sense of urgency with the gospel. I didn't shrink back from declaring anything to you that was profitable. To preach to you repentance to God and a faith in Jesus, I gave it to you as much as I could. For years, with tears, I admonished you, commended you to believe in Jesus. So godly compassion creates urgency. Godly compassion will also cause us to not merely give away the gospel, but gladly sacrifice our own lives for the sake of other people, a gentle and tender earnestness. Listen to this section of Paul's words to another church in Thessalonica. This is what he says about the way he came to minister among them. 1 Thessalonians 2, 5 through 8, he says, for we never came to you to lead you, to minister to you with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or from others, that we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. Listen to this part. But we instead were gentle among you, like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves because you had become so Dear to us, these are tender words of a spiritual father, not just some disconnected preacher who just kind of throws out passing words on a soapbox in Jerusalem or in Asia Minor. He loves these people, he's moved with humility and compassion for the benefit of their hearts. This sounds a whole lot like Jesus, no surprise, right? Jesus in his ministry, one of the things we see is he looked out on the masses. And when he, looked, when he saw them, he saw their condition, you know what he was moved with? Compassion. He was moved with compassion. Why? Because he saw them as sheep without a shepherd, distressed, unsafe, unstable. They don't know the shepherd. And so Jesus himself was moved with compassion, tender earnestness that compelled him to move toward them to give them life. And so is the same of all faithful witnesses. Humility, compassion, and then courage would be the last one I'll talk about just for the next handful of minutes. Serving in trials, Paul says. Serving Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews. So Paul ministry, if you remember, started with a word not to Paul, or Saul at the time, but to this man named Ananias. If you remember what God told Ananias, Ananias was like, hey, I know Saul. I don't want anything to do with him. He's, he's mean to your people, and I don't want to go to him. And God's response is, you're going to go because he's my chosen instrument to take the gospel to the Gentiles and to the Greeks and to kings and those everywhere. Then he says this statement. He says, I'm going to show him how much he must suffer for my sake. That's Saul, Paul. So Paul's life, and if you continue to read, if you just pick up Acts and read the rest of the book from this point on, you'll see very clearly different shades and types of Paul's suffering. God wanted Ananias and Saul to know how much Saul would serve God in his trials. And so from this moment on, what I want to do is kind of use verse 24, which is such a beautiful verse. Paul says, I I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. So here's what we could say. When your life isn't what you hold dear, when your personal well-being, your self-preservation isn't what you fight for, what happens with your life? One of the things you can do is you can step forward and not shrink back. Now, I'm going to be vulnerable here for a minute, so be Gentle with me, okay? I shared this with the Belong class a couple of weeks ago. So one of the things I've been confronted with in my own life as a, as a witness for Christ, not, just, not as a pastor, as a Christian, with the treasure of the gospel to give away. One of the things I've noticed happened recently. So we had a chance to minister to a homeless couple who had squatted on the property at, at church, our new building, for a season. There was a whole week where Chris and I were engaged in different ways and trying to serve them. And it it was good in some ways, ended up in a difficult place because they got combative and threatening to people who were working at the church. But there was a moment in time where, as a church, we put them up in a hotel for a couple nights and bought them a pizza to give them some food for the night. And right before the pizza got there, I, I sat there and I looked at them, and they, they just kind of stepped forward real tenderly. And, and I looked at them, and I, as best I could, I just stepped forward into the moment and I gave him Jesus, like as boldly as I could. And I was so encouraged, Like, because there are moments where I don't do that. And I felt like I just stepped into the moment and I gave him Jesus as best I could. And praise God, it was a sweet opportunity. But you know, one thing I was really challenged by when I left that moment, is why was I so bold in that moment? And I'm not to my, my coworker or my neighbor. But here's, here's what I observe about my own heart, and I'm guessing it'll probably hit you in some ways. I didn't have anything to lose with this homeless couple. I didn't, I didn't have anything to lose in their sight. They didn't, right? They, they, they couldn't provide me anything. I didn't stand to lose anything if they thought differently of me. And so it was easier to step into the moment because there really, at the end of the day, wasn't a whole lot of cost associated with that but you put me in a different setting where it's my neighbor who I live next to. And I begin to care a little bit more about what he thinks about me. I don't wanna make things kind of muddy or I don't wanna be the awkward Jesus guy. I just wanna show up at a party and everybody like me and not be the non-starter in conversations. Like, oh, you're a pastor? Like, let me go to the other side of the backyard. I don't want, I don't want that to happen. So because there's a cost to me, what happens is my boldness is diminished, if not taken away. Why? Because I'm considering my life as dear to myself and as precious in my sight. I'm scrambling to preserve self. And the fight as believers, at least part of it, in evangelistic work, being a faithful witness, is to step forward and not shrink back because we have considered our life as not valuable per se, more valuable than our love for God and our love for Jesus and our heart to give the treasure of the gospel away. I'm assuming that challenges every single one of us because I know it has challenged me of late. And I don't want to be moved, right? I don't want to be moved into boldness just because there's people that don't stand to lose me anything. I want to step forward in the same way and not shrink back because I love Jesus more. And this picture that Paul gives in verse 24 is, and you can look at a couple other translations, King James, New King James, it says, but none of these things move me. Like the... the The certainty of struggle and imprisonment and affliction await me in every city. Those things, Paul says, don't move me. and I don't count my life as dear to myself. None of it could cause him to stray from his calling. None of of it could move him away from his mission. None of it could tear him away from his testifying to the grace of God. And the rest of the book of Acts bears out how many moments Paul would have turned away turned around, turned the boat around, gotten off the boat, had he counted his life as dear and precious to himself? What about us? What about us? Are we actively trying to preserve our life or joyfully giving away this life to be courageous in the face of trials? When we don't count our lives as precious to ourselves, our accounting isn't rooted in this life. I had, I've had the chance recently, I came on as the volunteer chaplain for the UNCW basketball team. I've spent just a few hours over there with the team. There's really zero expectations on me, which is the reason I said yes to it. So, but I was talking to a, a group of the players this week, and it's been a common theme so far. There's a handful of these players, which is really sweet to watch, that are really just wrestling in their faith. They're like, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? And over here, they're they're holding this other hand. There's stuff in the world, on campus, in their lives that they're struggling to let go of and put both hands over here to lay a hold of Jesus. And one of the things is we were together this week. We talked a lot about, and there's a Bible study during the week. Is make no mistake about it, there's a cost in following Jesus. There is a cost to follow Christ. There is something we lose. There's many things that we lose, right? Jesus even said that you'll lose your life. Like if you want to gain your life, you're actually gonna, it means that you're gonna lose it. Lose your life for my sake and for the gospels, and that's how you will save it. That's how you gain it. So the Christian worldview is one that says, I lose my life to gain it. I lose my life for the sake of Jesus and his name and his gospel and that's where I find gain. And here's where it's challenging is we don't often see the gain here. There's other things that give us the the mirage of temporary gain in this life. But our gain isn't here. It's there. It's later. It's stored up treasures in heaven that we can't yet enjoy or fully see. But there's an inward Joy, a subjective feeling of I'm pleasing God with my life that you bet gives you present, real life and joy because it resonates with our identity. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, you know, Paul talks about it, that one died for all, therefore all died. And he, speaking of Jesus, died for all so that those who live may no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. It costs to follow Christ. And Jesus called the crowd himself with his disciples. He said to them, if anyone would come after me, or be my witness, be my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And Paul realized suffering awaited him wherever he went. But his aim wasn't to increase his comfort or maintain his platform. Like His aim was to finish with joy. Did you see that? At the end of verse 24, I don't count my life as precious to myself. If only I may finish for whatever reason, the ESV in some translations don't include with joy. But with joy is in there in the Greek. Finish with joy my course, my ministry that God has given me, namely that I testify to the grace of God, the gospel of the grace, the good news of the grace of God. I think every single one of us, like tonight as we walk out of this text just for a moment, like we have to wrestle with what is it that we're holding to in this life that's keeping us from really laying a hold of finishing our course well for the sake of the gospel of the grace of God. Every single one of us deals with the tentacles of the old life, that we still consider treasure from the former manner of life to be greater treasure than walking with Christ. That we still consider our lives as dear and precious to ourselves that keep us from being able to finish and to press on with faithfulness to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. But we serve as the spirit leads, right? We're constrained not by self, but by the spirit. And that's what Paul said. I'm constrained by the spirit to go. And Jesus himself said, like in this world, you're going to have trouble, but take care and take heart. I've overcome the world. So there's a way in which a little bit small, a small taste we get of Paul's position. Every single place that Paul went, God had told him, testified to him, hey, what you're going to get there is imprisonment and affliction. I don't know about you, like if I'm getting called in as a preacher and God's like, hey, just so you know, these people are going to hate you. They're just going to look at you and then they're going to leave. I wouldn't be preaching much. I wouldn't show up to speak in places where it was known to me that imprisonment and affliction awaited unless, unless even just for a moment, I was able to give Jesus away to ears that had never heard his name. Unless that's more precious to me than even my own freedom that I hold so dear to myself. And I think we all could stand some analysis in our own lives as to what we're holding on to that we might finish with joy the course that God has set before us. And as a church, you know, one of the primary ways like in our structure and ministry that we seek to do this, that we seek to honor this heart and theme in Scripture as we seek to send out even our best to multiply gospel-preaching churches. Like we believe wholeheartedly and we're giving our lives to it. We're structuring our ministry with a conviction that it's God's design to reach the world that we multiply disciples and multiply churches. We believe that's God's mechanism to reach the world and mature the believer. And so multiplying churches, planting reproducing healthy gospel-preaching churches here and around the world for the glory of God, we believe is a biblical pattern. And so that's why we're sending our favorite pastor. (laughs) Among the three of us, Jason is our favorite. I mean, it's just, that's why we send our best, right? Because I'm left to ourselves, we wouldn't send Jason. I've got wonderful plans for Jason's life. In Wilmington. Like, we just wouldn't do it because it's uncomfortable and it, it requires loss for the sake of some other gain that, by God's grace, we'll see some of, but we may not see completely in this life. But we believe it's worth it, right? Because even as a church, we don't count our lives collectively as a church to be precious to ourselves. We're not just going to grow this thing as big as we can make it for as long as we can. Regardless of what fruit might be born by sending people out the door, even if it's a sacrifice, like we want to, we want to finish our course well and with great joy. And it takes courage to do that. So I'm going to invite the, the team from Burgaw up, and we're going to take a minute. What we're going to do is I'll invite um, Pastor Bill and Pastor Chris up too. We're going to take some time, and um, as pastors, we are going to share kind of with the team a charge to them, uh, from our hearts to them, a little bit like Paul delivered to the elders in Ephesus. So we're going to take some time to to share with them before they go to the remotest part of the earth in Bergau, <laughs> North Carolina. <laughs> um, yeah, so with that, I'm going to hand it. I think, uh, Chris, you want to go first? You want Bill to go first?
1: Yeah, come. I I never want to fall feel free to slide this way <laughs> I don't know where to stand right up here <laughs> um, yeah. so um, this is weird for me because back in 16, I think it was like right you were like right where Nick and Dana and I met you for the first time, and you moved to my town, and now you're going to plant a church, and you told me about it then, and now you're doing it. Um, it's pretty exciting. I don't, um, so this week, I've been chewing on that, so Matt asked, he said, hey, any kind of encouragement you have for Jay or the team? Um. Here's my people, I'm sorry, I, I see these people every week, um, whether I like it or not, <laughs> they, they just show up at the house, and um, so we live in the same town, if you don't know, um, little town of Burgos. Um, So I, I'm filled with um, pain of losing you, losing you here, I enjoy seeing your faces, I enjoy serving with you. Um, but, um I'm excited about what the Lord has for you in Burgga um I don't know if it's because it's a word of the lord it's just been where i've I've been studying in romans chapter twelve and so when i when I contemplated man, what would I say? um I went to Romans twelve because that's where I've been studying, and so I wanted to read just a a piece of um of this for you. give you a couple of thoughts and then let Pastor Bill talk clean it all up um Romans chapter 12, this is what the word of the Lord says, Um, starting at the beginning, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And verse 3 to verse 8 is kind of where I landed for you guys. For by... if service and are serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, and the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness, and and so as I contemplated, man, what do I say to you guys? Because I'll have to see you all the time in Burgos still, right? I can't get away from you, and just give you this little this little thing and say, hey, good luck. Um, I would ask that that we lean on the scripture. And, and it's with all humility that you approach your calling to Burgol. You're called by this. Is, this was Jason's dream back in 2016. He shared it with me. I thought he was a little bit strange. <laughs> Jerry's still out. Um, but this is God's calling. Like this, is, this is what God has called you to. So in that, in all humility, engage people help push back the darkness in Burgall because it is heavy. And love those people. As you're doing that, you're going to do it as a team. And it tells me that you're all members of one body. You are all you're all being gifted. you have all been given a, a task to do as a part of this team. A task not just in the calling to, to reach out to Burgall, but then to serve one another and be involved with this team. You've been gifted in a way that nobody else can help fill that hole but you. And so you're in a unique position, a, a unique opportunity to see great fruit in Burgau. I believe it's coming. Burgau has is, is got some fertile ground there. And um, so I would, I would push you towards that in all humility, be engaged together, connect together, using the way that God has designed you and gifted you to be involved, be passionate about this call that God has called you to. And that's to share the gospel, plant this church in Burgau.
2: I'll try to be quick. Uh, a lot of patient kids up here. Y'all are doing a great job. Great job. Uh, Laura and I have been uh, here since 2018 and first time I heard Jason speak I went back and told Laura you can't help but like Jason. Now, Kate might have different opinions from time to time <laughs> but for the most part uh, uh, Jason is just easily, um, easily liked. So um, I think that it is because it's uh, the humility that is evident that matt talked about earlier so jason i appreciate god's work in your life and how it's been represented in the way that you interact with with everyone so um, even though i've known you the shortest period of time i might be the one who misses you the most i'm delighted to be able to, to know you i want to bring just two things um, one from the old testament one from the new the old testament reply uh, applied directly to you jason the new will be to both of you, uh, the the pastor and the congregation. But in the Old Testament, it's not part of our tradition, so it's a little bit unusual for us, but uh, where you see some places that wear robes and vestments and all of that comes out of the Old Testament, Exodus chapter 28. And there's this section in there that talks about what Aaron is supposed to wear, and it's kind of complicated and has a lot of particulars about it. Some things are symbolic, some are practical, but one of those is that he's supposed to wear this vestment and in that vestment there are 12 pockets and inside of each of those 12 pockets there's a stone and on top of that uh, stone there's the name of each of the 12 tribes of Israel and so he was supposed to wear this thing when he went into the tabernacle and it says in Exodus 28 that it's to be done so that there's regular remembrance of the people before God and this is your congregation these are the people whose hearts have to whose names have to be on your heart in regular remembrance before the lord and these and whoever the lord brings to you from Bergal it becomes your responsibility and your privilege uh to be constantly in prayer for them constantly remembering them to the lord then from the new testament and philippians which uh jason's going to be preaching from when they start uh we went through it a couple um months ago now i guess in uh here in Wilmington, but the first part of Philippians chapter one says, "Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ." And that phrase, uh, we emphasized it when we went through. But grace and peace to you from the Lord Jesus Christ. So it is our privilege to issue a charge to you, Jason, you Kate, as well as to you guys as a as a Body that's going to be with them. We don't have any authority; it's just guys. We do have authority based on God's word, and so when we go to God's word, I can stand on that authority and say to you, Jason, that declaring to these people the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is the primary uh, responsibility that you'll have for them. So when the days are full of excitement, and there's going to be a lot of days full of excitement. Um, Don't let yourself uh, stray from declaring to them the grace and peace of Jesus. When the days are busy, busy and the nights are long, reorient yourself and reorient this flock in the grace of the Lord Jesus. When the world is shaking and the foundations seem ready to fall, reaffirm the grace and peace of Jesus. If these sheep forget that they're sheep and think that they're wolves for a little bit, declare to them the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus. When your knees tremble and your heart aches, dive deep into the grace and peace of the Lord Jesus. When the tears are falling like rain and loneliness threatens to stifle your soul, find your way into the grace and peace of Jesus. And over the long haul, uh, declaring the grace of God for broken people to a broken people will build a congregation that will be full of the kindness of god and so now just a word to you guys as 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 a congregation god has given you a pastor to care for your souls but in the same way god has given you a pastor to care for his soul so when he shows that he's human and he will that he's beset by the same sins that we're all beset with because we are you can destroy him or you can lead him to the grace of christ There will be times when you hear Jason speak, like last week, and you'll think that he's a silver-tongued angel. (laughs) There's going to be other times when he speaks, and you're going to think that he's a cousin of Balaam's donkey. (laughs) Uh, Remind him of the grace and peace of Jesus. There will be times when he's brilliant, and there's going to be times when he's forgetful. Make sure that you show him the grace of Christ. Some days, uh, Jason and Kate will show up. They're going to be tired from the week. They're going to be worn out. They'll be carrying burdens that maybe they can't tell you about. And those moments that seem like maybe inattention to you, you can crush them. Or you can lead them to the grace of Jesus. And so lead them to the grace of Jesus. You're going to be (laughs) struggling with your sin. They're going to be struggling with their sin. They'll be growing in their faith. You'll be growing in your faith. Keep extending the grace and the peace of Jesus to them. So when the grace of Jesus is declared from the pulpit, and when it's lived out in your life, Jason and Kate, and when it is characterized by the life of the people who are listening, and you're talking to each other about the grace of Jesus, when it's expressed and demonstrated, then Crossway of Burgau will become a place of grace, and the broken people of Burgau will be able to come and see this Christ that we talk about, that we talk about that is rescuing us mm-hmm. from our brokenness. So we look forward to big things. Um, our hearts are are greatly saddened to see all of you leave but we're greatly encouraged at what the Lord is doing and so fortunately you're only 30 miles up the road we, we can link up that. Amen.
0: Amen. Uh, just just real briefly so uh, church family, Crossway family, Crossway Wilmington family, um, in case you don't know every couple up here, Jason and Kate Faircloth, uh, Brian and Jill Gear, Casey and Meg Herring and Chuck and Linda Szymanski, will you commit to praying for them? Just as you, as they come to mind, as Crossway Brigade comes to mind, just please pray for, for their unity, like specifically, that God will unite them in the, the uncertain terrain of church planting, and there's certain things that are known, there's a whole lot of stuff that's not known, and then just personally for me as a pastor, as one of your pastors, I don't know when this switch happens, like maybe right after we pray, they become <laughs> like yours at, at some point, but um, just as, as one of your pastors right now, I just want to thank you for your example. Um, I I'm, I'm encouraged by, by the way <clears throat> by the way you're living out what we just what we just read. Because there's there's much there's much that like staying here and staying in knowns is um, is a lot more comfortable. It's easier. It's easier to have a, a children's ministry when you have forty-eight children and four families, right? <laughs> Um, there are certain things that are easier about being an existing church, um, but, your, but your faith, your example will will only benefit us as a mother, as a sending church, because it gives us something tangible beyond just the examples in the New Testament to really strive for. So thank you for your example. Thank you for your faith. And we're greatly encouraged by you. I think the one verse I give you, which is in this card I'm going to give you, uh, is Acts 9.31, where it talks about how the church was was growing and experiencing fruit. And it says this. It says, as they walked along, like in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, the church multiplied. And so would you commit to walking like in the fear of God, um, like a biblical vision of who God is that causes you to live rightly for him, and then in all the difficulty, all the interpersonal challenges that will come, all the difficult terrain of being in a place where you're being missionaries, be comforted that God is always with you. Like he has given you power, and he'll be with you till the end, even when it doesn't feel like it. So um, this is from your family here, Crossway Wilmington. This is a check for $5,000, um, to Crossway Berga. So this is from our church planning account. So unbeknownst to you, you've already been giving to this, so thank you. Um, we give, you know, 5% of our giving off the top goes into missions and church planning. So this is your investment in this church that, a few years ago, you didn't know you were investing in. So uh, this is for y'all. There's a little note in there, super sappy note from me on behalf of us as pastors. Um, and then we've got a, uh, a Burgau banner for you, your first kind of piece of official p- publicity. And I'm going to have you hold it up and smile real big like you love every second of it. <laughs> so here we go. I'm going to have you hold that. If you guys can squeeze together and hold that just for a second. Jay, I'm going to give it to you, brother.
2: <clears throat> Get Are
0: you taking a picture? All right. And then here in a moment, I'm just going to pray for the team. Over here. <laughs> awesome. All right. <clears throat> so here's what I want to do. If y'all could just kind of bunch together in the middle, maybe even grab each other's hands. Um, I'm going to take a minute and pray, just, just me, and then we'll sing a couple songs together. Let's go ahead and stand together. If you if you would stand, just kind of even symbolically to kind of pray for this team and love you guys. I'm thankful for each one of you. Love you, brother. Let me pray. <clears throat> oh Lord, um, left to ourselves, we wouldn't we wouldn't do this kind of thing. We just simply wouldn't. Um, Thank you, God. Thank you for uh, for this this group. Thank you for the the joy and privilege of being able to be a part of what you're doing. Um, you don't need us; you're not served by human hands as if you need anything. So we uh, we marvel at your grace that not only saves us but uh, enlists us to make much of you. And so would you do, um, overwhelmingly beyond anything we could think or imagine through this group and through those who uh, they will come into contact with, God, would you save people, the people right now in Burgaw uh, and beyond that are without hope and without Jesus, that you'd use this team specifically in the proclamation of your word, their testimony in their lives, their love for one another, uh, to make much of Jesus in Burgaw. Um, we're sending them because we believe by faith in your design for the local church that this is the way in which uh, disciples will be multiplied and, and the gospel will go forth. So would you do it with power uh, for the sake of your name? Would you fill each one of them uniquely with joy and with your spirit that they would, they would be united uh, for the sake of the gospel, they'd be united in spirit, intent on one purpose, and be filled with the spirit, that they would, they'd speak the word of God psalms and hymns and spiritual psalms over one another that they would loudly proclaim that Jesus is king and deserves allegiance and he's the only one that gives life so we love you we entrust them into your faithful and capable hands Uh, you love them much more than we do you will build your church the gates of hell won't prevail against it so we ask that in a particular way that you would blaze the trail for them to be a fruitful gospel preaching church in Burgaw for decades to come Uh, we trust you, we love you We trust you by faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.